The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Sitting on a million, sitting on it every day. Can't make no money giving your stuff away. Why don't you do now? Like the millionaires do. Put your stuff on the market. You can make a million too. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Now, what is the Multimedia Cafe? Well, it's a place that you never know who's going to stop by or what we're going to talk about. The Multimedia Cafe is also a place that we embrace modern technology. So our interviews come in a multiple of ways they come face to face that old-fashioned face to face remember that when people used to sit down and talk we still do that from time to time but we also do them over the phone we also do them over skype maybe facebook that sort of thing facebook watch or facetime that's what it's called no that's apples um you know what i'm gonna concede and look to my social media manager because Honestly, I can't keep up with it. You know, the whole the whole Insta Snap and the chat gram and all that stuff, I, I get lost. So anyway, let's see what we got on tap for today's program. Let's see. Oh, we had a great conversation this week with uh, Sirni Rao. He's the founder and the host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. He also writes about things he talks about on his podcast and uh, excessive digital consumption is what we talked about this week was excessive digital consumption how uh, we as humans are not equipped for this and uh, great conversation and then Mike McMahon CEO of eco vapor recovery system talks about flaring patented technologies uh, a little update from the oil patch as well and then Kayla Sprayberry president of hub funding solutions comments on the recent government shutdown and how it's impacted the lending and funding markets all that plus much more on today's episode of the week in review the multimedia cafe week in review okay see that i sometimes i put things before i'm supposed to and that's how it goes and you just gotta roll with it you know sometimes in life you just gotta roll with it the imperfection of us humans is what makes us humans perfect I think I just made that up right on the fly. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. Uh, who we got? Sirni Rao, around the corner. Excessive digital consumption right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Can't make no money giving your stuff away. Why don't you do now? Like the millionaires do. Put your stuff on the market. You can make a million too. Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you. And the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. 
and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Up next, Sierney Rao, the unmistakable creative podcast founder and host. Well, um, I produce a podcast, as you noted. Uh, I write, so I've interviewed something like 700 people over the last 10 years. They range from bank robbers to drug dealers to performance psychologists to authors to entrepreneurs. Uh, they're all just people that I find uh, really interesting and I'm curious about. Uh, I'm also a public speaker. Uh, so I think that, you know, to kind of get us to, you know, talking about what you kind of found me for is excessive consumption. Naturally, as a media creator, you spend a lot of time uh, consuming content. Like, you also spend a lot of time looking at what other people are doing. And what I just started to see uh, was that we live in this world where we are inundated with inputs. Uh, from social media to email to text messages to websites. We've never uh, been drowning in so much information. And it's really hard to hear the sound of your own sort of creative voice and your own thoughts if you are constantly inundated with other people's inputs. It's just not a natural way for us to, to operate. Like, we were never meant to, to function like this. You know, one of the ways that um, we market this program, the Multimedia Cafe, is one of the programs I do. And part of our part of our tagline is, is you know, um, we we you, we give you content in so many different forms, and we do interviews in multiple media's that sort of thing. And we right. of, we often joke about how you know we thank people for tuning in and checking out our content because you can get it in so many places. The other day, I was at the gas station, and Steve Harvey was giving me news at the gas pump. I mean, you can't even go get gas without uh, getting inundated by content. And so yeah. it's interesting that you this topic has um, kind of resurfaced in a new way, I guess, um, because the success of digital consumption, I've never seen it really from the creativity angle like that. I've, I've seen it a broad brush, but the way that you kind of dissected a little bit was unique in its own form. Talk to me about um, what, what drove you to finally write this article, because there, it was a little bit of introspective from your part. Well, I think it was my own sort of personal experience, you know, uh, and it's kind of a fitting question uh, given the timing of it. I just took 30 days off of social media, like, well, in January, I quit. And I'd been really stuck on a, a proposal that I've been working on for a book. And, you know, after 30 days away, the ideas just started to flow like they had before. And it was just, you know, a ton more writing. I've been publishing a blog post every day. Uh, so I, I saw that, wait a minute, you know, like, we aren't giving ourselves time to think. You, you know, if, you're, if you want to do creative work, you have to have solitude. You have to have time for self-reflection. You have to have time to express those thoughts. Um, and that requires being disconnected from the world. It requires not being inundated constantly with information because um, if you basically have your attention constantly shifting from one stimulus to another, which is pretty much the sort of default way that uh, most people live in the world today, it's virtually impossible for you to ever get to the point of, uh, you know, being deeply focused on one thing enough to the point where it will lead to a creative breakthrough. Because what we know from all of the sort of neuroscience research is that one of the triggers 
plays a big role in that. Like if people reduce the amount of things they were consuming, they would find it much easier to reach that sort of heightened sense of, of you know, creativity, heightened sense of awareness, this, this what they call flow state. And so I think that even just, you know, being off of social media for 30 days, and I, I've been pretty mindful about the way that I use social media for the better part of the last few years, uh, or at least I thought so. You know, I use distraction blocking tools. I've probably spent no more, I was spending probably no more than a minute or two a day on Facebook. Like I drastically reduced my use of it. But when I logged back in after 30 days, I think what struck me was how compulsive this behavior really is, even for somebody who is as disciplined as I am. Like, wait a minute, like, you are not making these choices consciously, whether you think you are, you know, whether you believe it or not. These are choices that are being made for you by the people who make these products, because what they've done is they've designed these things to be incredibly addictive. And that was Sierney Rao, the unmistakable creative podcast and host. If you want to check out the entire interview, go to thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The multimedia cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network, so we're under that umbrella. Check out thecrudelife.com for all of our social pages as well as exclusive interviews like the one we just had with Sierney Rao with the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Tears old when John Lennon died. Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye. Yeah, next go, I think it's Paul. I see. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we talk with Mike McMahon, the CEO of EcoVapor Recovery Systems. Mike McMahon, EcoVapor Recovery Systems. Let's start off by talking about what is it the uh, EcoVapor does. EcoVapor Recovery Systems has, has been in operation for about, or was founded about nine years ago. Uh, we have uh, patented uh, technology that uh, is very unique. It, what we do is we have uh, equipment that removes oxygen from a uh, gas, a natural gas stream. And uh, what this does is it allows operators to uh, unlock uh, all the uh, opportunities involved in, in capturing uh, tank vapors. Um, vapors are generated in a variety of, uh, of, of ways in the uh, oil production process. Uh, essentially, the uh, well stream flows from the uh, wellhead through some initial uh, separation where the uh, uh, natural gas portion of that well stream is, is taken off at line pressure. And then typically the liquids flow to uh, storage tanks, which are very large. Uh, they're operated pretty much at, at atmospheric pressure. And uh, th this uh, dynamic allows for the release of a lot of vapors. 
that are uh, uh, contained or captured uh, in the liquid, and uh, they they're liberated because those uh, storage tanks are very large and have very long residence time, and uh, they're operated at very low pressure, so the vapor pressure of the vapor allows them to come out. Um, these vapors are typically uh, flared in many applications, or or just uh, burned or destroyed, uh, and so. Uh, our technology allows these vapors to be captured and sold uh, into the uh, gas gathering system uh, because those vapors typically contain oxygen, and we, we remove that oxygen and uh, allow that vapor to be sold, which which uh, which, which opens up a whole uh, host of uh, of opportunities and, and opportunities to bring value. You mentioned flurry, and that's something that comes up in the news quite a bit, um, especially up in, in my area, the Bakken. Uh, you're down. Where, where, where are you based out of? Our headquarters is in Denver, and uh, oh, we no have kidding. field offices uh, uh, one one north of Denver in Greeley, Colorado, and then one in uh, Midland, Texas. Okay, no kidding. So you you guys are down in the Permian, then I would imagine, or at least don't doing some business in the Eagleford, Permian, Haynesville, Texas area, correct? Yes, we have over 100 installations oh. uh, of our, uh, out in the field at this point in, in all the major basins. And how's the flaring down there? Uh, in North Dakota, it's a big issue, and there's political issues up in North Dakota where only certain companies get in and get access, that sort of thing. That's a story that's been heard over and over again up in North Dakota. Um, how is it down in where you're at? Are you guys getting... Uh, access to the proper people? Are the Texas officials keeping up with what they said they'd keep up with when it comes to uh, flaring, that sort of thing? I'm not asking you to get political here. I'm asking you to just kind of, this is your business and this is how you guys make money. And you know what? There's certain certain uh, ways that innovation needs to happen. And one of them is pushing the envelope a little bit on these guys to start, you know, getting innovation going. So, sorry, I just had to push it a little bit there. But, <laughs> you know, well, you know, you understand what I mean, because I, I I feel your guys' frustration. And so, you know, it's it's you try to be professional. At the same time, you're like, listen, you guys are the ones asking for this. Here's your solution. So, sorry about that. I'm not trying to do your sales call for you, but... Uh, <laughs> No, this is great. I appreciate the help. <laughs> but what's it like down there? I mean, you know what I mean? Because you've got, you've got the officials trying to, to actually make a conscious effort in reducing flaring, yet you got all these science projects going around. And, um, you know, it's just it's not happening yet. Is, is it? But you guys at least have 100 installations. So in your world, it's happening at least slowly or on pace by numbers, that sort of thing. Talk to me about that that business climate and that environment and that sort of thing, because it is very regulated. Sure. So uh, re- rewinding in time, you know, a, a few years, uh, there was a time when vapors that are generated in the production of oil and gas were, were just simply released to the atmosphere uh, without without being burned. Uh, but, you know, but uncombusted hydrocarbons being released in the atmosphere are much more damaging than, than combusted hydrocarbons. So, you know, over the last, you know, years, uh, regulations and, and uh, you know, regulatory oversight of, of the uh, uh, combustion flaring of uh, vapors has, has become, you know, the, you know, the, the status quo in, in every state. Uh, EPA obviously has federal regulations, and then and then each state has a little bit different uh, 
process for managing uh, the the flaring process. So, uh, so flaring originally came about, you know, as a as a more environmental friendly solution to the vapor being generated, you know, than than just releasing it uncombusted. Uh, but it, it is it is regulated, and so you know there are uh, emissions, you know, emissions uh, from from these uh, flares that have to be managed. Uh, so our technology takes what is a, a waste stream, you know, currently a waste stream, and turning it into uh, into into revenue, uh, and also improving the uh, emissions uh, profile, you know, in the environmental footprint of the uh, well site. So. What we see with many clients is that uh, they they want to improve their emissions profile uh, and their uh, de-risk their environmental compliance by capturing this vapor instead of selling it. So it makes good good business sense from a revenue standpoint and good sense from a uh, regulatory compliance standpoint. But additionally, you know these flares are very visible, and uh, you know it, it is becoming uh, you know I guess just more of a sensitive issue uh with uh, with the public as, as they drive by or, or you know fly over and and see flares burning you know they, they identify that as, as as waste and something that they would you know prefer not to see so there is you know there is also those uh you know more intangible uh reasons why why many clients want to want to work with us and come up with a uh, a solution for for capturing that that vapor and turn the flares out you know, and I, I honestly, I think this is something that needs to be nipped in the bud pretty quick because I think what you said is going to happen more and more where people are going to start pushing back a little bit more on this flaring because this is something that is supposed to have been solved over the last 10 years. And if people aren't seeing it's being done, they're going to start questioning, okay, why isn't this being done? Like the one, the one thing I'm hearing up in like North Dakota, up in the Bakken is uh, there's money set aside to help companies to reduce flaring but then the the companies go the dollars go to the same companies who then work with the universities and so a lot of the smaller companies have a hard time breaking through and getting past that next thing and if you're the big companies why wouldn't you not work with the universities because it's cheaper and you the regulatories work right with you that sort of thing and so in up in the Bakken they got to compete with the universities um and the government quite a bit for some of these flaring things and and they didn't hit their last mark and so that's kind of one of the issues happening up there um and like i said i'm not trying to get into politics here because that stuff just already happened that's done with that's just a fact um right yeah are are, are you guys seeing any i guess uh government dollars or government assistance to help you get in with some of these companies that because let's be honest you know some of these bigger companies they don't even have offices around here they're like in you know some other dubai or something like that so <laughs> you you understand right. what i mean though is that what to, what type of assistance is happening because um the taxpayers have paid a lot of money to help reduce the flaring that's where i'm getting at and, and and the whole idea is companies like yours are the ones that are help reducing this problem so yeah Sure. No, that's a great question. I would say, first of all, just to maybe frame frame the phenomenon of flaring. Obviously, in, in order for our solution to to be viable, uh, the producer has to have a pipeline. You know, they have to have infrastructure and a, and a gas pipeline. Mr. Mike McMahon, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. 
We're going to continue the conversation with Mike McMahon, the CEO of EcoVapor Recovery Systems, in just a moment. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. I was born near Harvest Moon. I wasn't too late and I wasn't too soon. And I was born on the first day of my life. And I was two years old when John Lennon died. I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried. Well, I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied. You know, we do what we do so we can survive. And I was two years old when John Lennon died. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool. Joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Mike McMahon, CEO of EcoVapor Recovery Systems. Obviously, in, in order for our solution to, to be viable, uh, the producer has to have a pipeline. You know, they have to have infrastructure and a, and a gas pipeline in place to, for as a gathering system to collect the gas and and bring it to a, you know a gas processing facility. So you know there there may be some you know flaring of, of uh, gas that's taking place because you know the operator wants to uh, would would love to capture the gas, but there's just no infrastructure to do so. Uh, you know, in other areas, for example, there are some areas of the Permian where there are pipelines in place, but they are, you know, fully subscribed. So I think, uh, you know, the industry is reacting and trying to uh, install, you know, more pipeline capacity to, to collect and, and carry away uh, more of the gas. But, you know, there are instances where that's where at this point that's just not viable. However, you know, in cases where it is viable, you know, we're seeing that there's a lot of operators, you know, no matter where their headquarters is, who, who want to want to do the right thing and uh, just 
want to, uh, you know, reduce their, their greenhouse gas emissions, uh, reduce, you know, r- reduce their environmental footprint and, and their environmental, uh, you know, regulatory exposure. So we have, a, we have a lot of clients that, you know, work with us. There's a couple of large operators in the Permian who have basically come to us and said, let's work together on uh, designing a system and coming up with a solution for capturing the tank vapor instead of, you know, instead of flaring it. And uh, if it makes money for us, great. But if it doesn't, that's okay too, because we want to we want to put the flares out. So uh, there's there's uh, more and more operators are taking that that proactive approach. What I love about our approach is, or, or, you know, or our solution, is that uh, you know not only do we you know put the flares out and reduce the uh, emissions, but it also makes uh, very good economic sense in in most cases, and and so it's it's. Uh, it's something that's really a win-win-win for the for the producer. They get uh, more revenue. They get a, a more uh, a de- uh, from an environmental standpoint, uh, cleaner footprint and a de-risked site environmentally. And there's uh, positive uh, safety implications for the site as well. Well, let's talk numbers a little bit. Talk turkey, if you would mind. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of the natural gas or the um, uh, you know the value-added uh, technology innovation has hasn't been adapted as they say cost. It's not making money, and and that's where I adapted the term science projects. They've got science projects going on in some of these wells. Well, that was five, six, seven, eight years ago, and it sounds to me if you guys are installing the number that you are, um, and you guys are making some money for people over at uh, Eco Vapor Recovery Systems. Michael McMahon, Mike McMahon's joining us, the CEO, Eco Vapor Recovery Systems. Uh, take a minute and talk a little bit about, are you guys saving monies for your customer? I know you mentioned that some people are doing it out of goodness of their heart, but let's let's be honest, that's not everybody out there because people need to be, pay their bills, et cetera. Are, are you guys, you know, saving some money for companies, that sort of thing? Take an opportunity and, and give give yourself a nice, nice commercial, if you will. Sure. No, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that segue. You know, uh, yeah, you know, everyone's process and, and everyone's situation is different. Obviously, the, the more vapor that's present on a site, you know, then, then the more uh, potential revenue stream and, and the economics become more favorable. Uh, you know, just to give you some numbers, uh, this, the, the typical unit that we provide to uh, oil and gas producers can process uh, 300,000 uh, cubic feet of, of uh, vapor per day. Uh and with one of those units, if it's if it's fully loaded, in other words, if it's if it's run at full capacity, uh, you know, it, it if we do a lease arrangement, uh, it will it will pay, about the first five days of each month pays the lease cost, and the rest is uh, is is pure incremental profit for the producer. So, from a straight economic standpoint, uh, you know, uh, on a site of reasonable scale, uh, we can demonstrate very favorable economics. Now, just to caveat that and not get too technical, you know, there are different uh, types of uh, gas gathering systems and different contracts out there. Uh, and so it, it really depends on the specifics of those contracts. But, you know, in, in most cases where there is a uh, reasonable volume of vapor available on a site, uh, the economics are, are very, very favorable. I'm talking about in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per year of uh, net net incremental uh, cash flow to the customer. <clears throat> Some of the other ways that we also, you know, provide economic value is uh, obviously by, by de-risking a site environmentally by 
by turning a well pad into a zero emissions well pad, uh, you know, then the exposure to to fines uh, in case of uh, you know in case of exceeding your uh, permit, you know, those obviously that is that is de-risked. Um, there are some regions of the country where uh, there's a limit on how much emissions can take place off of a well pad, and so that just uh, limits. The, the amount of production or the number of wells that can be located on a pad uh, if you're if you're flaring uh, your your vapor uh, because you know once once they reach the uh, maximum allowed uh, volume of, of uh, flaring then they can't add any more production obviously if we if our solution comes in and, and makes that pad a zero emissions pad then you can co-locate many more wells on that one uh, location and uh, that that allows the producer to be much more efficient with their capital you know, they can put many more wells and concentrate on one pad so their site development costs and some of the uh, you know common pieces of equipment separation equipment that sort of thing that would be on a pad you know that that capital is used much more efficiently so we uh, we bring that economic value as well hope i'm not getting too technical but uh Additionally, uh, from a safety standpoint, uh, we allow the uh, producer to run a uh, safer uh, pad where, first of all, you, you don't have a flare and the exposure of, of the flare. Uh, you also have uh, storage tanks that are operated at lower pressures. And, uh, and so there's less exposure and less exposure to vapor uh, for, the, uh, for the employees out on the uh, on the well pad, so there are many different ways that, that we bring value and uh, and you know hard hard dollars uh, to the table. And so once we uh, can sit down with a uh, with a producer, you know, with a potential client, and and show them, you know, how our uh, technology unlocks the oppor- all these opportunities, uh, typically it's a it's a very it's a very positive conversation. They look at it and go, "Wow, I I want to I want to do that. How can you help me do that?" Now you're coming from a trade show. What trade show are you just at? Uh, this was a uh, trade show in Austin, Texas. It was it's uh, the uh, four number four C uh, environmental conference. So it was a, a it was a, a broad not just oil and gas, but a, a broad uh, gathering of uh, you know safety, health, and environmental uh, you know types of solutions. And so I gave a presentation there on uh, on our technology and the uh, opportunities it unlocks, and then. We have an exhibit booth there as well, so great deal of interest, uh, you know, and uh, you know had some great great conversations about you know how we can help clients achieve their objectives. Basically, more free cash flow and uh, zero emissions. Is it, and that's pretty much what you spoke on was kind of just an overview of uh, how they can use your services, save some save some money, and reduce their emissions. And I imagine a lot of that was what we just talked about. But is there anything that is, you know, bullet point worth or anything that from the, uh, I guess, presentation that you think people should, you know, walk away from if, if we haven't talked about it or maybe we did? Yeah, you know, because I because the, the, the presentation was fresh on my mind, I've really covered most of it. You know, the, the title of the presentation is, uh, is uh, Flare Less, uh, sell more. Uh, so it's, it's very, it's very simple. And, uh, and we just, we just talk about how, uh, our solution. And, and one of the things I've found is that really the, the degree of expertise in, uh, in exploration and production companies in, in upstream oil and gas 
um, their expertise in vapor recovery is is not as strong. To listen to the full-length interview with Mike McMahon, the CEO of EcoVapor Recovery Systems, or to listen to other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. All of our social media links and exclusive interviews can be found at thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. So here's to all of the good thinkers. And here's to the lonely drinker, but don't you know, let this moment pass. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. This is our Week in Review. Coming up next, Kayla Sprayberry, the president of Hub Funding Solutions. Kayla Sprayberry with Hub Funding Solutions. And Kayla, you're still the president, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, see, we like to make sure, you know, we got the big, big dogs on here, the the big guns when we talk about some of these uh, critical issues. And quite honestly, anytime you're talking about money, I'm sure you found that um, people get pretty passionate about money issues, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we have going on, we've, of course, expanded out to the uh, Multimedia Cafe. We have a daily show now. And then also we, of course, have maintained our energy programming um, more for the weekends and, and more specialty programs as opposed to the daily show, which is giving us more room to have conversations like this as opposed to a little bit more structured conversations like we've had in the past with uh, the oil and gas programs, which, by the way, those are still going to be more structured. Don't get me wrong. But the reason I'm bringing this up is, is that this allows us to be a little more topical from time to time because what a lot of people know about my programming is I don't get too much into politics and there's a lot of different reasons behind that from the you know the passionate side of things but also 
Um, I like to talk about things that people can kind of incorporate into their daily lives and into their families and that sort of thing, more educational type things. And I was thinking about that government shutdown because that does happen every couple of years. And yeah, it seems political and everything, but that, that kind of impacts you a little bit on how people get money, doesn't it? I mean, you probably, you probably have got people asking you questions about this government shutdown, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've really run across it lately um, in the past couple of weeks, and we feel like that's going to keep going um, in the next few months to come because there were a lot of people who were who were working directly or working for a company that was working on government land, doing uh, government contracts, especially in our um, our trucking sector. Um, anybody who has to do with road construction or you know government land, they haven't been paid. And so they're needing to figure out how to fill that gap until they get paid. And that's something that we've been working on. Um, we've actually done several working capital loans here lately that have been you know anywhere from, uh, $30,000 to $120,000, $150,000 to get them through that pinch. And um, it's been a big deal. And, and we don't know how this is going to progress, but we really want to be able to be out there and be on the forefront to help people to get over this bump because it's it's not the company owner's fault this happened. We want to be able to help them, you know, uh, navigate that uh, hurdle. Well, and that's, that is one thing that's happening out there. Another thing is we've seen enough signs that, you know, we could potentially go into a downturn in terms of oil prices and some other things. And, of course, you know that the oil and gas economy affects the rest of the economy. So whenever oil and gas goes down, it seems like the rest does too. And where are you seeing some funding coming from next year? I mean, if if there is a downturn or if, you know, I mean, they're, they're thinking that the second half is going to look better than the first half, but who knows? I mean, just, we've been there before. It's just a couple of years ago where we had a couple of years of some tough times, that sort of thing. So banks got a little more tighter with their regulations, that sort of thing. Is that still the case or where, where are people seeing funding in 2019? Absolutely. You know, that's where the alternative funding sector is really growing. Um, you know, Jason, they actually see the alternative funding sector, which is basically anything outside of the traditional bank, growing by at least 40% in the next five years, um, which is a really big deal because it's just like you said, the banks have to tighten down, they have stricter regulations. Um, and it's not really the loan officer's fault. It's it all comes from the top and having to do further due diligence, you know, over collateralize, um, you know, do all of these extras to make sure that they're covered because of the losses that they had taken over the past several years. But that's where the alternative funding sector comes into play. Um, you know, we still need to do extra due diligence. We have to ask for a little more paperwork, a few things like that. But our ability to fund oil and gas operations, trucking operations, construction has actually expanded. Um, we just picked up a funding partner who wants us to do a million plus. They, they want to see those big operations um, so we can get into those large scale expansions. And it goes a little bit faster than if you go to the bank and you know, we're, we're really there to put options out there to fit our clients' wants, needs, and budget. That is really our main goal in the foundation of Hub. Are you seeing any trends anywhere, um, you know, when you're talking about either oil and gas or housing or you mentioned trucking, those types of things? 
each one of those different financing uh, loans and, and capitals, they all come with different hoops and different regulations and that sort of thing. Um, so it's hard to know which one would be the best way to go. Are you seeing any of those that are kind of showcasing themselves as a kind of a viable option right now for, for you know, all the, all the regulatory planets are aligned or something like that? Yeah, I mean, they really do. Um, you know, we're working with a lot of people that come in and say, hey, I need to expand my business. A lot of people think when they look from the outside in, at whether you're looking at trucking, oil and gas, they're thinking, okay, it's it's going down. Certain sectors, especially midstream, trucking, those types of things, um, are actually growing. And they're just having to look at new places to get their working capital. Say somebody calls me and says, hey, I need $250,000 for working capital. We break it down. What do you need it for? Tell me. And a lot of times they'll say, I need a new truck, a new trailer. Uh, not new, actually, used. But we'll get into that in a minute. Um, you know, used truck and trailer. I need to hire some more people. Um, we need to uh, invest in this equipment. We're able to come in, break that up, and get them the funding that really fits the need there. Um, our working capital line has really become a strong part of uh, that expansion. Um, we're going to be at the wonderful Roseland Oil and Gas Show in Midland at the end of March. It is one of my favorite shows to go to. And um, it's going to be a great time. We love seeing everybody there, getting to know people, and um, just really answering people's questions. It's it's a lot of fun. And that was Kayla Sprayberry, president of Hub Funding Solutions. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check out other exclusive interviews and our social media links and all of that good stuff at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. We'd like to thank Kayla Sprayberry, president of Hub Funding Solutions, Mike McMahon, the CEO of EcoVapor Recovery Systems, and Sierney Rao, the, fo the host and the founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, for joining us this week on the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. That's going to do it this week. We'll be back next week on this radio station at this time. And if we missed you on the radio, you can always go to thecrudelife.com and download the podcast. We're available on iTunes and other areas, uh, uh, Podomatic and other things. iTunes plus much, much more. We'll just go with that. All right, that's going to do it, folks. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Hot stuff will say, why don't you do now? Like the millionaires do. Put your stuff on the market. You can make a million Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts.
and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 